have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. We'll continue to teach on the call to discipleship. And today I want to emphasize, begin to emphasize on soul winning. Essential for discipleship. Soul winning. Essential for discipleship. I'm going to be teaching into this for the next maybe six sessions that I will be teaching Whenever I'm taking the teaching service in the mornings, I'm going to be taking this subject. I'm going to get us to look at it at length. One of the things I want to um, encourage you to get involved in is the evangelistic push that we are having as a church. And at the end of um, the service, I'm going to say a little bit more on that. Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. This was one of the first recorded encounters that the Lord Jesus had with The disciples, the first encounter that he had with the disciples, and when he saw them, or when he uh, approached them, his words to them was, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now, the reality was, because they were fishermen, the Lord used what they were doing as a point to speak to them of how he was going to disciple them. It's not because uh, he was specifically saying that being a fisherman was the greatest way in which you can do soul winning or disciple people, but what he was teaching us is that the Lord meets us where we are and then makes us to be disciples that are able to reach our own. So for them, they were fishermen, so he would make them fishers of men. If, you, if he had met you and he was an accountant or a doctor, he would have used, probably said, uh, follow me and I will make you a healer of other men or something like that. But the point that I want to make is that the law, when it comes to discipleship and soul winning, he reaches us or he speaks to us where we are to get us to become what he wants us to be in our given context. Now, we're talking about soul winning. As we're going to learn, it is the main priority on God's heart and the first requirement for anybody to follow Jesus. As it was for these disciples, so it is for you and I today. If we are serious about being a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ, then to be a soul winner is not an option. It is the automatic result of anyone who is truly following Jesus. If we are truly following Jesus, eventually, through our life, we will be able to cause others to come into the kingdom, to catch the souls of men and women for God and for his kingdom. If we are truly following Jesus. 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 15 says this. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance 
the Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, the phrase is a very interesting one. Paul says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. In other words, this saying was a common saying amongst the New Testament believers. In the church world at that time, it was a very common saying that they had that the reason why Jesus came was to save sinners, was to save sinners. Today, you would think that the reason why Jesus came was to give us money. When you listen to some of our teachers today, you think the reason why Jesus came was to make our lives feel better, was to heal our marriages, was to cause us to be free of any emotional baggage, was to make our lives happy, was to give us good parenting skills. But he said, this is a faithful saying, worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Even the Lord himself emphasized throughout his earthly ministry why soul winning was such a priority to him. It was such a priority. He said this in Luke 5.32. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. In Luke 19.10, he says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That which was lost. Soul winning is at the heart of why Jesus came into the world. It is the reason why the Bible was actually given to us and is the reason why we have churches. Because through soul winning, as we win souls, we disciple them in order for them to win others to the lost. The tragedy today is many people are one not to Jesus, but to church. They're one to church. They're not one to Jesus. And so they come to church with a view of what the church can do for them. Rather than recognizing that the church is an environment where we are equipped so that we can be effective in rescuing the perishing, rescuing the lost. We're going to see several reasons why we as Christians, whether we're new believers or mature in the faith, must be given to soul winning. Some of you have heard me use this analogy before, but let me give you this story. True story, but it's a story, but hear it. It's like this. This man got in a plane, and as he got on the plane, he saw that the stewardess were handing out Parachutes, saying to people, you know, as you enter this plane, put on the parachute. But as he got to his seat, he noticed that most of the people had their parachutes on the side. Some of them were putting it in the overhead locker. Some of them under their seats. Some of them was on their lap. Some of them had left it even by the, the, the side of the aisle of the, 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 the plane because it was in their way. They had their laptops and their iPads to focus on. One or two were wearing the parachutes and the, the passengers next to them found them a nuisance because it was a bit bulky and they kept, you know, nudging them and looking at them like they're kind of weird and that. So he, he, he was holding the parachute and he said, and he was looking at this. So he, he thought, let me, and the guy sitting next to him was wearing his parachute, which was irritating because he kind of had his arm. I don't know if you've ever been in a plane and somebody puts their arm in your space. 
Anyone been in a plane? You know, when I go on a plane, one of the first things I do is claim my territory. <laughs> hmm. So he, he said, why are you wearing the, the parachute? And he said, um, and he said, well, the air hostess have told us, because um, I asked them, they said that, that the plane is going to run out of fuel halfway, and we're all going to have to jump out. So what do you think he did? What do you think he did? Well, the plane had already started flying, so. He quickly put on the parachute. And then he proceeded to try to warn people to put it on, but they weren't interested. Halfway, guess what happened? The, they ran out of fuel, and uh, they said, look, we all have to jump out, and he was ready. Okay, now you get the point. The point is, is this. The reason why he put on the parachute was because he saw how urgent it was. He saw that his life was in danger. The reason why he tried to warn others was because he realized their life was in danger. This is how it is when it comes to the kingdom and when it comes to the souls of men and women. They are like, or we are like people on a plane where the fuel is going to run out and we're going to have to jump out. And what do we do? We try as much as possible to ignore the impending danger that presents itself to men and women, especially us as Christians today. We've become so politically correct that we are afraid of saying the wrong thing to people. And wrong thing means, you know what? If you die right now without Jesus, you're going to hell. You're going to burn forever. No, don't say that. Don't, don't, that's just too heavy. Rather, you know, say to them about how God loves them and about how the... Listen to me. Some people care that God loves them. But most people don't give... Don't care. Don't care that God loves them or not. How many of you really cared about God's love before you knew Jesus? Before you knew, I didn't say now. I mean, before you knew Jesus, you really were... I wonder if God loves me. Yeah, you, there are godly people like that in the universe... But I wasn't one of them. And most of us were not like that. All right, so look at what Jesus says in John chapter 4, verses 34 to 37. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Do you not say there are still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. And he who reaps receives wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. That both he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. The Lord, in talking to the disciples, he said, you say, or you kind of put it off to later. You know, harvest is not now, it's in four months time. But I'm telling you, the Lord says, if you will look, the harvest is now. There are souls of men ready for harvesting. Some of them are our family members. Some of them are our friends. Some of them are our neighbors. Some of them are strangers God brings our way. Some of them are people who have a whole lifetime ahead of them. Some of them have only a few weeks ahead of them. Some of them is their last day. Sometimes God will bring people your way and you are their last chance to hear the message of the kingdom. And we need to see the urgency of 
where people are at and why we need to be active in soul winning if we're serious about being a disciple of Christ. As disciples, we ought to win souls for Jesus. I will teach later on, not today, on the sin of not winning souls. I myself is a sin about neglecting soul winning. And many of us, if we examine it, will find ourselves guilty of not winning souls. Now, soul winning was so important to the Lord that after he resurrected, before he ascended, there were at least five occasions that he spoke about soul winning and discipleship. At least five occasions. One is in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Another one, you don't need to put this out because of time. Another one is in John chapter 20, verse 21, where Jesus said, Peace to you, as the Father has sent me, I also send you. Another one is in Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. You can put that one up. Mark 16, verses 15 and 16. And he said this, Go into all the world and preach the gospel or the good news to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe will be condemned. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. That word gospel is simply Old English for good news to every creature. Now, beloved, why is it good news? It is good news, it's only good news if you understand the implications of not believing. You see, and for most people, the gospel is not good news, it's irrelevant news. It's irrelevant news because the way we present it, the way some of the gospel is presented by some of us, rich people will feel they don't need it because after all, they've already got the money. People who are happy in themselves will feel they don't need it because they are not depressed, they are not sad, they are very happy. Do you know there are many people who live very happy, ungodly lives? Are you still here? Most people who live ungodly lives are not sad about it. They enjoy the sin. So to go to them and tell them, I've got good news for you, you no longer have to rave. You no longer have to have sex all the time, even if you're not married to them. You no longer have to get drunk is not good news. Is that, does that sound like, would that sound like good news to you? I've got good news for you. It's, it's not even irrelevant news. It's bad news. It's news I really would rather not hear. You see, so what makes the gospel the gospel? What makes it good news? What makes it good news is if you understand the state that people are in right now without Jesus. The state that they're in is this. If they drop dead today, they're in the lake of fire forever. There is no hope to come back. As he says in Hebrews 9.27, as is appointed for man once to die and after that the judgment. There is no reincarnation. There is no purgatory. Once you die, that's it. And the reality is every human being living on this planet has broken the Ten Commandments. One of them at least, five of them at least, nine of them at least. If you're a devout Jew, probably the only one you haven't broken is the Sabbath. 
Every one of us has broken at least one of them. And the reality is, with the law, if you break one, you've broken all. So, for instance, how many of you have ever lied before? Wonderful. I don't mean wonderful that you've lied, but I'm just saying. <laughs> how many of you have ever wanted what belongs to somebody else before? Mm-hmm. Some of you are even lying now. <laughs> how, many of you, how, many of you, how many of you have ever um, misrepresented somebody in a situation before? All right. So, on your own admission... You, if you have been lying, what does that make you? On your own admission. If you have been lying, what does that make you? If you have been um, bearing false witness, wait a minute, forget it. So, on your own admission. How many of you have ever, have ever said, oh my G-O-D, literally, before? Or, oh J-E-S-U-S, and you weren't giving glory to the Lord Jesus? You just, I'm talking as a Christian. I'm not even talking, you know, as a Christian. You, oh, Jesus. I'm preaching right now. That's why I'm using it, Lord. How many of you have ever done that before? Yeah. And how many of you, yeah, so that's even enough. So you've been blaspheming. So in your own admission, you are a liar and a blasphemer. And where do you think, if you are a liar and a blasphemer, if you die, you will go? You will go to hell. The only way you will not go to hell is if the blood covers you. Right? So it becomes good news when you recognize the state you are in. You recognize the state a person is in without Jesus. That's when it becomes good news. So when the Lord said in Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the good news to every creature, he who believes and is baptized will be saved or delivered or rescued, and he who does not believe will be condemned or damned forever in the lake of fire. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Now, I don't know about you, but beloved, as a young Christian growing up, when I understood this truth, it drove me to pray for every one of my family members to get born again. My family is a religious family, but they needed salvation. My mom has been in the choir, bless her, she's there. By the way, she's 75 this week. She's 75 this week. Come on, give her a hand. Come on, that that lovely woman over there. 75. Now, she used to tell me when I preached to her, shut up. <laughs> that was the first response, shut up. Secondly, I've been going to church before you were born, which is true. She was in the choir before I was born. But when God encountered her, he transformed her life supernaturally. My dad used to tell me, Joseph, I am too old to be, in fact, it was Joe, I am too old to be born again. That's what he told me. And I said, how can I go to a church that I'm older than? But at the age when he was 67, he came to me shaking in his boots saying, Joe, what must I do to be saved? Those were his words. I used to pray for my family regularly. My big brother, Alfred, who used to bully me and was enjoying telling the tales yesterday. I used to pray for him regularly. Regularly, my dad, my mom, my brothers, and my sisters, until I began to see all of them coming. Now, I'm not saying it was only my prayers, but for me, I used to tell the, the Lord, how can it be that I will die and go to heaven 
and the woman and the man who the woman whose womb I came out of, the man whose loins I came out of, will die and go to hell. It cannot happen. It's an impossibility. Your word says, ask and you shall receive. Well, I'm asking for the salvation of your soul, not for a brand new car. I'm asking for the salvation of your soul, not for a breakthrough in my job. I'm asking for the salvation of my soul. And I used to hit it time and time again. I said, it is not possible for them to die because your word says that ask and you shall receive. That was it. No big revelation. I read Matthew 7, 7. Ask and you shall receive. And so, so I said, Lord, you said ask and you shall receive. I'm asking for the salvation of my family. And I kept doing that and it took 10 years for the major breakthrough to begin. But sometimes we cried, sometimes we, we shouted, sometimes we prayed, but we kept asking the Lord, save my family. I'm telling you, don't give up on your family members. Don't give up. And today, all my family members, all of them, have been saved. Second cousins, third cousins, distant relatives, relatives who, they're all getting saved. Not simply because of my praying, because others are praying, but the point is, we don't give up until we see them saved. They, my family used to vilify me. They didn't, I mean, the idea that they are in church today, it's a miracle and stuff. They used to, they would have meetings and I wouldn't be included because that's the weird one, the weird one. Don't even call him in the family meetings. But that was a good thing. Because when they got saved, Almost all of them became members of this church. That's a powerful testimony. I pray that your family will be saved through your praying, through your fasting, through your seeking God. I pray that your friends will come into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That you will not give up and you will not give up until you see those you love come into the kingdom. Now, let's talk quickly about the blessing of spreading the gospel. When the Lord Jesus resurrected, he spent 40 days on the earth. And like I said, during that time, on several occasions, he spoke about the Great Commission in different ways. Now, the Great Commission simply is our responsibility to outreach, disciple others, so that they in turn are outreaching and discipling others out of what Jesus has revealed to us. So Jesus has revealed himself to us. Because of that, we outreach, we witness, we sow win. Then when they get saved, we have a responsibility to disciple them until they become mature enough whereby they don't need us anymore and they also are sow winning and discipling others. That is a great commission. That is the mandate on anybody who calls himself a believer of Jesus Christ, a follower of Jesus Christ. It's not for a special elite. It's not for pastors. It's for everybody. Are you still here? Now, what we don't realize is this, is that this great commission contains within it a tremendous blessing. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 24, verses 50 and 51. Luke 24, 50 and 51. We're talking about the blessing that Jesus gave or the blessing of spreading the gospel. In Luke chapter 50, verses Luke chapter 24, 50 to 51, he says this. And he led them, he led them out as far as Bethany, and he lifted up his hands 
and blessed them. Now it came to pass, while he blessed them, that he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. Now I want you to turn to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. Acts chapter 1, verses 7, 8 and 9. Acts chapter 1, verses 7, 8 and 9. And he says this. In fact, verse 6, verse 6, sorry, put it from verse 6. He says, therefore, when they had come together, they asked him, saying, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority. Verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Verse 9. Now, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. I want you to notice the last words that Jesus spoke to them was, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you shall be witnesses to me both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But I want you to also notice that the man who wrote this in Acts is Luke, is the same one who wrote Luke 24. He describes that little episode as this. He says in verse 50, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. Now it came to pass while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. So you've got to ask yourself, what exactly was the blessing? Because in, in scripture, when God blesses us, it is not like, be blessed. That's not how God blesses. If you want to know how God blesses, look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1 verse 28 shows you how God blesses. Verse 28, after God created mankind, it says this. Then God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Notice when God blessed mankind, he blessed mankind by empowering them to have dominion. That's how he blessed them. When he blessed them, he said, he said, and God blessed them, and then showed us how he blessed us. He said, be fruitful. One of the blessings. First blessing, multiply. Second blessing, um, fill the earth. Third blessing, have, um, subdue it, bring it under your control. Exercise dominion. These four methods are the way in which you will exercise rulership, and it was how God blessed mankind, by empowering us to exercise rulership. So, when Jesus blessed them, he empowered them to exercise the ability to be his witnesses. It was by empowering us to spread the gospel. I am 100% convinced that any believer who takes seriously the agenda on their life of spreading the gospel the way Jesus wants us to will enter into their purpose while they're on the earth. Whether they're a doctor, a lawyer, whether they're a homemaker, whether they're an author, whatever your profession, whatever your gifting, if you embrace this mandate of soul winning on your life seriously, your whole outlook, your whole life will change forever. 
you will enter into a revelation of who you are, what you're supposed to do. Giftings that are in you will unlock. Why do you find it that whenever you're on the mission field, you're so alive? The gifts hit, come into place. Whenever you're doing the work of the ministry, even in your weakness, the power is there. Those of us who give ourselves to ministering God's word, to winning souls, to really going out, you find so, such satisfaction, such a sense of fulfillment. There is what we call the soul winner's joy. When you go out and you're sharing about your faith to people, and even if they reject you, and even if it's, uh, you have opposition, there is a sense of this is why I'm supposed to be alive. Beloved, the enemy has hoodwinked many believers in not grasping this simple revelation that the last blessing that Jesus gave to the church was to empower us to be effective soul winners. I'll give you a few reasons why we should evangelize. Why should we win souls? Number one, because the Lord commands it. We've already established it. In several scriptures, Mark 16, 15. So we don't want to go into it. Number two, why should we win souls? In order to express the love of God. In order to express the love of God. As children of God, we are to demonstrate our Father's heart towards the world. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And Ephesians 5, 1 tells us to be imitators of God, to be imitators of God as dear children. So beloved, reason why we should be so winners is in order to imitate our father. Because he loved people, he loved this world, he gave his life for them through his son. Third reason, because it's part of why we're alive. It's part of the church's mission. It's one of the major reasons why we're alive, why we haven't been raptured. It's one of the major reasons why you are still alive. Beloved, you have an allotted days for your life. And once your days are up, no matter how hard you, you fight it, you will leave your body. And the only investment that lasts after you leave your body is the investment you made for the kingdom of God, specifically in how, through your life, others were able to come into the kingdom and be established in the kingdom. It's the only currency that will last. Whether it's through your time, your finance, your abilities, whatever it was, through your life, people entered into a saving knowledge of Jesus and became established. It's why the church is here today. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, the Lord said this, you are the salt of the earth. If the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? In other words, if salt ceases to be relevant to its environment, what use is it for? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. Is there any wonder today that the media has a field day with the church. Now, what makes us relevant, and don't misunderstand me because we as a church are part of this, but what makes us relevant is things like food bank 
and street passes. And by the way, the founder of street passes is one of our senior elders. And thank God for street passes. But the reality is, these initiatives, they are tools that are supposed to aid us in our being effective soul winners. But for some of us and our churches, they have become the end in itself. The man who found the street passes, he's, he's an evangelist. He's an apostolic evangelist, Reverend Les Isaac. He's a soul winner. And his, his vision is that through the church being relevant in the streets, we can make a bridge to gain the hearts of men. It's a very wise way of doing it. But the reality for many churches is we think because we do street pastors, that's it. We don't have to be aggressive in evangelism. For some of us, we think that if we are giving our money to something, then that is enough. We're also doing our part. Yes, we need your money. Tell your neighbor they need your money. Tell your neighbor they need your money. But the reality is the church may want your money, but God wants your life. God wants your life. He wants through you people to come to a saving knowledge. I tell you what, one of the things that really is scary is when because of us as Christians, people are turned off to coming to know Jesus. If because of your lifestyle, you're causing somebody else to sin, you are supposed to be a born-again believer, and you are trying to get an unsafe person to sleep with you, are you still there? And then bring them to church the following day. Are you insane? Why would they go with you to church? You've just been having fun. And then you come to church and pretend. In the name of Jesus. What was the song you were singing? Be, what was the one? The splendor. And the way you even shout splendor. The splendor. Hypocrisy. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. In other words, when you are who you're supposed to be, you cannot but reveal the reality of your light. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Beloved, let me tell you something. Yes, I know some of the ways I preach at times is hard. And some of you, it might not, you may not like it. But I'm telling you what. I want to make sure that on that day, you cannot say, this pastor didn't tell us this is how we're supposed to live. I want to make sure I've got enough issues to deal with without having you to point to me on, on the last and say, yeah, you see, he was my pastor, Lord. He, was my, he never told us that was a sin. I went, Joseph, no, you never said it. In fact, you said it was okay to be a member of your church. So you should beat him, not me, Lord. You should beat him. <laughs> yeah. I remember once, just digress, I had a vision. And a whole heap of Christians, Christians that I knew, members of our church, some of them, were standing before the Lord accusing me to the Lord that he's done this, he's done that, he's done that. And I, hey, it was a court, you know. And, I said, and the Lord said, Joseph, what do you have to say? From hmm, be smart here, because they're all accusing you. So I said, Lord, whatever they're saying, you know the truth. He said, Well done. 
You see, because people will accuse you. And sometimes it's true. Some of it is true. Have you ever been accused and half of it is true? And then you harbor on the bit that's not true. You can't do that on the last day. Quickly, why do we need to evangelize? Because the unsaved will face judgment and go to hell. This is the sad reality. This is a sad reality. For some, hell is a myth. But for many, hell is a reality right now because they're experiencing it. Somebody said, oh, hell is what you make of it on earth. Yeah, you carry on. Like I said last week, this is the best you will ever get if you don't know Jesus. Because if you don't know Jesus and you die, and I know what some will say, what about this one of that religion? And I'm not talking to anyone of any religion. I'm talking to you. If you die without the Lord, there is a place that you can never escape. Let's read the scripture. Two scriptures and then we'll close. Second Corinthians chapter 5, verses 10 to 11. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known to your consciences. Now this refers to believers who come before the throne of Christ's judgment. This is not referring to the unsaved. As believers, when we come before the throne of Jesus Christ, the judgment seat of Christ, we are judged to receive our rewards of how we lived our life before God. We're not judged for our sins. But even that judgment is terrifying. That judgment is terrifying. Because one, the Lord is going to hold us accountable to how we stewarded the abilities he gave us. Some of us he's given little strength. But he still expects an interest. Some of us, he's giving big strength. And he expects an interest. I mean, two weeks from now, we're going to have a prophet here. He's a very powerful prophet. Very powerful. Kingsley's going to be here. And he has a tremendous gift. He's only been in the Lord for 15 years. It's kind of a bit annoying. <laughs> he has a tremendous, and he's a very powerful preacher. Very great preacher. Very great prophetic gift. He's going to be held accountable for that gift. So sometimes I'm thankful that my gift is not that powerful. <laughs> but now, so as a child of God, you're going to be held accountable for what you did. And one of the areas the Lord will examine you on is in soul winning. And then the next scripture, Revelation 20 verses 11 to 15. This is the great white throne judgment where everybody who does not know Jesus comes before. He says, then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. He says, the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. What he's emphasizing here is this. 
there is no place to hide. There is no place to hide. Then, listen to this one. Then death and Hades itself were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. There is a place that the devil is afraid of, that death itself is afraid of. And believers are indifferent about the fact that their loved ones will go there. He says, whoever's name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Is your name written in that book? As I've come to a conclusion, if you've surrendered your life to Jesus and Jesus is the Lord of your life, then your name is written in that book. But is your name written in that book? Is your name written in that book? Are your family members, are their names written in that book? You say, Joseph, how do I know if my name is written in that book? If Jesus is the Lord of your life, your name is in that book. He said the books were opened. Everybody, believers and non-believers, our, our life is being written down in God's book. Everything about our lives is being written down. But there is another book. It's called the book of life. And you know something? David once prayed a prayer. He said, blot out their names from your book. In other words, there are people whose names are in the book and then God decides to erase it out. That's what David is saying. And then there are those whose names are written in that book. Beloved, make sure your name is written in that book. And if your name is written, I know what some teachers teach, but make sure your name is not blotted out of that book. Let us pray.